1: Get this out of the way, Andrew. I'm sick. You're this is—I've got soup here, so apologies in advance for any soup noises.
0: Yeah, Craig's gonna eat soup on our podcast. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna. You get- got 24 hours in a day to eat soup, and like the other 23 were apparently deemed not good enough. And this <laughs> one—it's the souping hour.
1: The soup wasn't ready yet, and then we needed to record. <laughs> And as you can't tell, if you, whoa, if you can't tell, I need this soup desperately to live.
0: God, so yeah, forgive any soup slurping noises that we make on this here podcast. It's
1: more likely that I will just spill soup on myself and start screaming. Welcome to Overdue. (laughs) This is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig.
0: My name is Andrew.
1: Also known as the Soup Boy.
0: The soup soup boys soup welcome kid. to soup boys soup kids <laughs> our new podcast about soups about teens who love soup as you know it's souptober I mean <laughs> spooktober you're uh-huh. on overdue and that means a month of spooky books last last week we read Howl's Moving Castle which is kind of spooky light yeah in that there are, there are witches and elements of magic and stuff but. It's not set out to scare you, I don't think, unless you're scared of aging, which, as we established, I very much am.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, unless you're like scared of talking fireplaces or a man who got turned into a dog. Like, if that's not, if that's like a little scary to you, then you know, spook it I would up. Be,
0: I would be scared to run into those things on the street, but I'm not <laughs> scared of reading fiction <laughs> to, about to them.
1: read about them. Yes, that's true. Uh, Andrew, we're gonna get. Sp- Spooked this week, I hope.
0: Gonna get spooked.
1: What did you read for the show?
0: I read The Woman in Black by Susan Hill. It's okay. a ghost story. Oh,
1: it's an actual factual ghost story,
0: huh? Well, actual. It's not like its factuality, I think, is up for debate.
1: It's not based on a true story.
0: You got a mouthful of soup? Uh. <laughs>
1: I couldn't resist myself at least once. It's fine. We'll move on. I won't eat soup anymore.
0: You can eat soup just <laughs> I guess I just need to give you like more of a window to eat soup in.
1: Yeah, I kind of I, I kinda of expected you to talk a little bit longer. I could get All that right. sweet potato down, but we're good.
0: Uh, sweet potato soup? It's is sweet, that what's good for a cold?
1: Sweet potato, chicken, and barley. There's some carrots and celery in there and some parsnips. It's kind hmm. of delicious. Sounds like okay soup. Come on over and eat the soup with me.
0: I'm not going to eat your soup. You got all your germs in it.
1: There's a whole pot downstairs. Let's talk about your book instead, I guess.
0: Okay. <laughs> instead of soup. This is, I mean, yeah. For written kids, it's weird <laughs> to talk about a book. But I guess our, you're sick. So we are spooking
1: it. our audience uh, by having a podcast within a podcast again. Every week I've worried. Again? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> So what, do right, we, so what do we know about Susan Hill? Who here's what book? I know about
0: Susan Hill. And why don't you cram some more mouthfuls of soup in your sweet mouth right All right, now, here I'm I gonna go. Ta- I'm going to be talking about her for a bit. Uh, she was born in 1942. She is an English author of fiction and nonfiction. Um, she had a novel, I'm the King of the Castle, that won uh, an award in 1971. I skip pronouncing the name because I cannot. Somerset Maugum yeah, Award. The
1: Somerset Smog Award. In 1971.
0: Uh, And uh, she was appointed commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2012 for services to literature. Did you know, Craig? Well, I know that you know because I told you. But (laughs) while I was researching this, I found out that Mary Berry from the Great British Bake Off had also been knighted in 2012, which I think is just like pretty cool, like a pretty cool way to get knighted. Yeah. It, is to well, just it was bake, bake your way to knighthood it with was Mary the, Berry.
1: It was the birthday honors of the Queen in 2012 where she gave, she gave a knighthood to Kenneth Brana. I think Kate Winslet also got a CBE. And so apparently like the Queen was just like everybody Everybody's everybody I like come on in. You're all parts of the British Empire now.
0: You got to figure the Queen at this point like every every birthday she has is like like this is the last one, right? Like this this is the one where I can pull out all the stops and really go crazy. She's waiting for that, for that. Uh,
1: what's his name? Frodo? She's waiting for that Frodo birthday where she gets to just disappear. Mm-hmm. And leave everybody with spoons and stuff. That's the
0: 111th, if I remember properly. Uh, oh,
1: okay. I, she's got a ways to
0: go. <laughs> she's got a bit. Um, She published her first novel at the age of 15. It was called The Enclosure. And it apparently kicked up a lot of criticism at the time because of how racy it was. Um, the Daily Express said, schoolgirl writes sex novel. If you want to just get a window into the timbre of the of the criticism, is basically this isn't appropriate for a fifteen year old girl to write. Ooh. Yeah, she
1: was writing it in her first year of studies after her family had moved to London. Um and she i think it was about like a middle-aged couple she said in a couple interviews that her first she did, she
0: called it a bad
1: book but
0: her first i mean she was 15 in yeah, her first book like fine. That's fair enough uh
1: but she did just like send it out to a publishing house and it got printed that's pretty cool when you're 15
0: yeah it is um, pretty cool
1: but she was she did say like at an early age she was fascinated by characters who were older than her like she wanted she didn't know what adulthood was and she was using fiction to like figure it out and guess Mm -hmm. at it and apparently it involves a bunch of sex so
0: (laughs) her parents marriage also it should be noted was only okay yeah (laughs) and so a lot of the time in her books apparently not not so much in this one but in others like a dysfunctional marriage features prominently or in the background or somewhere in there
1: yeah I think she something about her mom like had lost a previous partner and then kind of married soon after um which is I think Susan went through a similar thing later in her life, which i think yeah
0: I right she her first fiance died of a coronary in nineteen seventy two mm-hmm. um but in nineteen seventy five she married a Shakespeare scholar Stanley Wells, and they had a they had two kids they had then then the third who was born premature who died um when it was four weeks old i think yeah and like here's the thing that i thought was funny was that she married a shakespeare scholar and then they moved to stratford upon avon yeah which is just like peak shakespeare scholar yeah do you you think there's any other kind of person who wants to live in stratford upon avon at this point i don't know it's just all it's all a bunch of 35 year old Guys with receding hairlines and stupid beards, like wandering around and stroking their beards and talking about Shakespeare, right? Well, that's or per- the bar, the bard, as they call him.
1: Well, that's perhaps a gross <sighs> generalization about people who might be interested in one of the foremost poets of the Western world. But that's listen. Fine. There's
0: being interested <laughs> in it, and then there's being a scholar in it. Well, like how I is feel like that... he's wait wait he's, wait 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 he been wait, wait, he been wait, 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 he been, been scholar Like wait, I wait. think we figured it, it all out at this point. Wait
1: wait 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 wait. 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 Yeah. How is this different from like? Go into Graceland or go into a Pokemon convention. Do is it people different?
0: go and live at Pokemon conventions, well, Craig? I I no. Guess, uh, hmm. no, they don't. Well, Pokemon doesn't like, have
1: like a birthplace, though, other I than mean, it Japan. Was,
0: <laughs> it was created in a place. I feel like your soup fueled sick analogy is not working as well. No, as
1: I got, you got some straw men over here. They're ready to argue. Um, I do want to make a note about uh her her um when her husband died when or her fiance David died um she said she would later say that this was a blow from which she never recovered, and this will be I want to bring this up for uh this book when we start talking about the plot of this book Andrew she said that uh there are moments pure as fire which we experience and which we do not forget, and sometimes when they come we know them for what they are. Uh, and this came from an interview in 2003 with the, oh, I don't remember who, the Guardian maybe, um, kind of talking about how her later fiction has focused a lot on, like, inflection points in people's lives, like, a thing happens to you, and that defines you from there on out.
0: Yes, um, and that definitely happens in this book, too.
1: So, it's uh, I I wouldn't ascribe that to her if she had not, like, brought it up in an interview, um, I also found that one of her do- one of her daughter's name is Clemency, who and works in human rights. That's pretty great. That's pretty good. That's just a cool way to fulfill your awesome name. That's I pretty think. good. I think. It's like
0: when you know, if if you were a blacksmith like back in the day, you might get the last name Smith, and it's the same thing, but backwards and for charity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, sure. But- it's definitely the same thing
0: definitely 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 are you ready to talk about this book are you ready to get spooked you sweet soupy boy
1: <laughs> i am all souped up and ready to go
0: okay i'm just i'd turn down the office lights here over here okay i've got like a flat my phone whoa flashlight. whoa mm-hmm. time to tell a ghost story okay the woman in black was written in 1983 <laughs> And it's in the gothic style, sure. Because she liked it. Because she liked that style of book. Yeah. She
1: also Spooky. we didn't we didn't talk about it, but she also wrote a sequel to Rebecca, which was part of last year's Spooktober. Mm-hmm. She wrote like uh, I think it's called Mister and Mrs. or Mrs. De Winter. I think it was called. Rebecca Two. <laughs> Rebecca Two. Uh, da- by Daphne du Maurier. Um. <laughs> yeah, she was into that style and and into how can you like sustain that type of suspense over the course of a full novel. Yeah,
0: she's real into to to atmosphere and suspense. And I it's not clear when this book takes place. I think it's roughly contemporaneous, but she mentions like when she mentions a flashlight she calls it a torch like cars are there but she kind of sweeps them under the rug to the point where she makes the easiest way to get to her haunted house like a horse and buggy basically like it's it's very i didn't look up when it was written before i started reading it and so i honestly was not sure like it it could have been written a good long time ago.
1: Sure. So the torch thing, I think, is a European thing.
0: Yeah. No, I th- I don't think that's exclusive to this book, but it just um, does. It it fits in with the general vibe sure. that she's constructing. I And think.
1: she also, we didn't say, we didn't mention that she was uh, raised in Scarborough, which is pretty north, I think, by the sea. And she's written a lot about how that impacted her and her writing and play, like setting places in kind of misty uh wayward locations is really like in her wheelhouse uh, for that reason. So when you yeah, talk about
0: yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what happens in this book. So spin me a yarn, Andrew. And spin you one spooky yarn. Um so let's start at the beginning, which like as I say it, I realize sounds pretty self-evident. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts as many Victorian novels do. With a frame narrative. Okay. We're in this guy, Arthur Kipps is in his fifties and he's happily married and he works at a, he's a partner at a law firm and he's got four stepchildren and they're all having a nice Christmas together and they are all like all the all the kids are going around the room and telling ghost stories on Christmas because that's that's what you do. Who hasn't gathered around the Christmas tree to tell some some ghost stories? Well,
1: I mean, A Christmas Carol's a ghost story. Andrew Marley was dead, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Santa Claus is a ghost. We all know this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is he a ghost? Wait, what's your evidence? Everything he does.
1: Except the eating cookies part.
0: Yeah. I've seen the movie Casper the Friendly Ghost. I know when a ghost tries to eat something, it just drops through their body onto the floor.
1: And yet Slimer can eat stuff.
0: It must just be different. Like, different ghosts can do different kinds of stuff. That's probably all so based Santa on how is, you die, Santa yeah. is more like Slimer then, yeah. than he is like Santa Cosper.
1: basically is Slimer.
0: He's a benevolent Slimer. <laughs> who goes through your house and slimes you with presents. <laughs> um so this guy Arthur Kipps is is in with his family and they're all telling ghost stories and they're like daddy tell us a ghost story and he's like uh no I don't want to and he's trying to like act like everything's cool and he's fine but really he's getting super scared. Like he's like
1: sweating and like yeah, don't yeah, talk to me
0: sweating yeah. bullets and then he runs out of the room and he says I don't want to do it I don't want <laughs> to tell a ghost story <laughs> and it's because he lived through a ghost story oh and so and he says you know this this hasn't bothered me for a long time but it did bother me for a while and to exercise it from my mind I have to like get it out there and tell it to somebody so I'm gonna write it down. I'm going to say that nobody gets to read it till after I'm dead. Mm -hmm. And here we go. So the rest of the book is all ostensibly like a written account of stuff that happened to him uh, maybe like 13 years before. Okay. Um, The book isn't exact about it. I'm just like counting up the time intervals that it it gives me. Yeah, sure, sure. But yeah, it's like between 13 and 15 years before.
1: Yeah, this is really much really very much in that style of book. Like I'm getting a lot of turn of the screw right now. Um That kind of like this, let's spin yarns. Let's, you know, this, yeah. this, maybe this really did happen because the, because it's a story in a story. Like what, it, there's like a weird extra layer to it, which makes it fun.
0: Well, and if you want to, if you want to talk a little bit more about Victorian type stuff and how, um, how Hill is subverting the genre like really subtly, which I guess we can at least try to talk about because we've talked about a lot of Victorian novels up to this point. But, um, so Arthur Kipps's constitution has been affected in like a permanent way. Oh, sure. By his encounter with ghosts. So this, this gets back to the, like, the, the thing you are talking about before where people have this one event that shapes the rest of their life after. So that that's going on. But like a lot of the ways in which Hill talks about Arthur, just in the way that he's affected by cold and the way that he responds to this, the story, it's very, I'm going to say like feminine, but understand that I mean that within the context of like Victorian novels. So you would always You'd always get like this heiress who was very delicate and who like went outside without a scarf on one November night and came back and got consumption or whatever and died because, yeah, sure. <laughs> because she was such a delicate flower. Like that's she is kind of talking about Arthur in the same way. Huh. Okay. It's a subtle sort of thing, but
1: I'm also thinking of uh Ichabod Crane a little bit too. Sure. Sure. But that it's that's of like a different you're you're supposed to get a particular like you're supposed to view him as sort of specifically a
0: weak or a feat, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Which I don't think she's, as I understand, she's not judging him that hard in this.
0: Sure, book. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and they actually they do mention headless horse people Ooh. or ho- horsemen, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to make everything so politically correct.
1: Uh, we didn't say, for the record, I have seen a play of this book. Okay, but I have not read it. There's a fly on at my microphone, so
0: you got a fly over there. You got soup. Like, get it together, man. This they have done a lot of adaptations of this. There was a TV adaptation in 1989. Like a TV. There film. was a yeah. There was a BBC radio broadcast of it in '93. Um, another version of it on BBC Radio in 2004, and then a film adaptation in 2012 starring Daniel Radcliffe as Arthur Kipps.
1: Yeah, which, as I understand, took some big liberties with the story.
0: I have not, though that's, okay, so I haven't seen that movie, but I do now understand, like, I know who the person on the cover of the Kindle version is. I didn't... <laughs> I didn't take the time to figure out who the person was, but now I know.
1: Okay. I want to come back to what the play does differently um, after we talk about the plot.
0: Okay. So, Arthur Kipps, we're flashing back. That's a flashback noise. Uh We're going back to his time. He's like a junior executive person guy at this law firm, and his boss tells him that he needs to go out to Crithin Gifford... Um, to settle the affairs of one Alice Drablo, who is an old lady who's been a client for a very long time and she probably, she doesn't have like a lot of family or anything, but somebody needs to go and get her affairs in order because mm-hmm. she's died. Mm-hmm. Um, she was 82, 83. She was in her 80s. She lived a, a good long time. Um, like the queen, like the queen, <laughs> And so Kipps goes up to Crith and Gifford and as he runs into people who live in this town and who are familiar with this woman and, and the house that she lived in, like they all seem they all seem pretty spooked. Like from early on, you're getting people who are pretty scared of this of this place for reasons that they can't or won't impart. And he thinks that they're kind of silly and he actually gets a little mad at them because, like, why, why Why do you keep like hinting around at this stuff without telling me? Just talk to me. And he thinks, you know, being from London, he thinks that they're they're just sort bumpkins. Of backwoods, yeah, backwoods yeah. bumpkins who just would believe anything you tell them.
1: Now, does now are they afraid of like the whole town, or are they afraid when they just m- the hear house. her? Na- just the house, okay, just the house.
0: But the the story and the events connected with the house have kind of cast a. Paul over the entire town in a way that we'll we'll talk about in a bit, I guess. Um, if you're just if you're just talking about it strictly at a plot level, there's not a lot that goes on. So Kip okay. goes out to the house. So the house is all by itself, surrounded by marshlands, and it actually is only accessible at low tide. So oh, when, there's like
1: a is there like a bridge or something?
0: It's like a it's a sandbar sort of thing. So yeah, he's so he goes out in this in this horse drawn carriage or like a pony drawn carriage, I guess, (laughs) to this house (laughs) and he starts going through it and well I guess what what the first thing that happens is he goes to the funeral of Oh well um, yes to confirm that she's dead. Yes. Yes, right. And while at the funeral he sees a few odd things. He sees this woman who seems to be like so wasted away that her skin is like pulled taut over her skeleton like there's not a lot of of muscle or fat or anything under she just looks she looks very unhealthy and very bad what
1: she dressed in she's dressed in
0: black uh-oh but it's a funeral so like it doesn't seem <laughs> ominous so, at the time okay
1: she is in black that's acceptable her skin is just taped onto her bones less acceptable. Yeah. So okay. So it looks a lot
0: of, like bluish gray. She just doesn't look great. And he also sees like lining the cemetery, like at the, at the fence, like these, like a couple dozen sad looking kids. Oh. And he tries to wave at the kids, but they don't like wave back or what anything. What are they? they just are they like sad.
1: singing a sad cover they're of a Radiohead do, no, song? No, they're not or doing
0: anything. They're just looking at him. Okay. They're just standing there looking. But
1: I'm all creep. I'm a
0: loser. Is this a reference to something that what I don't... What the hell am I doing here? I don't... Is this a reference I don't I get? Don't or are you just... I belong here. All hopped up on NyQuil and Soup.
1: Cause I'm a creep. Actually, that's it was insane. the trailer for the social network, I think. They they had this, like, ghostly choir singing...
0: kids singing a Radiohead song? Uh, yeah. This is a deep cut, my dude. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs>
1: So the kids are just staring though. Are they staring kids at him standing, or at her?
0: They're just standing there staring at the whole thing. Um and so they're like the the few people who came to this funeral are all leaving, and he goes to this guy and he's like, Who's that who's that spooky lady who looks <laughs> so bad? And the guy who he's asking just like gets really, really agitated and and like says that he didn't see her and like and and Kipps is like no well she's right over there just look at her and he gets even more agitated and and then they leave the funeral okay um and he goes i think the next day like he wakes up this morning before he goes out to the house and he is so Full. He's so full of beans. He's full of vim and vigor, and he's just like, I, I feel ready to take on the whole world. And it's like the last time that he ever feels like this in his. I was gonna life. say,
1: like, why did you bring this up? And then I was like, okay, he's gonna spend the rest of the book being enervated, yeah. and like worn down and scared into his soul okay yes,
0: right exactly and so we take note of this last joyful day because and
1: he ate a bunch of beans and then farted the rest of the day until he saw a ghost I guess that's,
0: no it's an expression full of really yeah is that full an of expression beans. yes absolutely that means like you're lying like you're full of beans no that's not what that means so he goes he goes out to the house mm-hmm and the ghost Horse and buggy guy leaves him and he's like, I'll be back when the when the you know when the tide is back out. And so Arthur sets about going through these papers and and looking around the house, and he sees this like crumbling sort of church thing like nearby, and there's like a family cemetery nearby, and he sees this woman again, and he goes to like try and investigate further, but he can't. He, he like she disappears and he doesn't know where she possibly could have gotten to. Um and then this big old thick old fog ro- rolls in and he's he's decided you know I've I have scoped things out I'm going to I'm gonna go back to town tonight. I'm gonna to get a couple of days of food. I'm just gonna come back. I'm gonna stay here at the house. I'm gonna blow through all these papers. I'm gonna go back home.
1: Has anyone like hired him specific? Is there anyone in town that's like his contact, or is he just rooting through these old ladies? This old lady? No, stuff? It's,
0: he's he works at a law firm, and this lady died, and he has been sent to like get her estate in order because she didn't have family to do it. But, but there's she not was, like a butler she was there a, or anything. She was a client at this. At this firm where he works. Okay. But there's not like a... There's
1: no one like a caretaker or anything is what I'm asking.
0: Not of the house explicitly. Okay. Okay. Um, and so this this big old... This thick old fog ro- rolls in and he's trying to walk back to uh, and Gifford across the sandbar sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But he realizes quickly that like he can't see very far around him and he better go back. And so he hears the the you know the noise of a of a carriage or a buggy or whatever being drawn by a horse, mm-hmm. and he figures that it's the guy coming back to get him. But then he hears the the sound of it getting like bogged down in the in the marsh, and he hears the sound of like a horse and a and a little kid like getting sucked under and that's a very specific sound yeah and then he doesn't hear any noise anymore huh and so he assumes that his horse and buggy man had a kid in the (laughs) buggy for some reason and and then got pulled under and he's very horrified by this whole experience
1: that would be pretty traumatic yes that would be pretty horrible
0: yeah so he fights his way back to the house like it's it's hard for him to get there because he can't see anything and then he like passes out sort of exhausted and when he comes to the guy who drove him in is like is there to wake him up it's like two in the morning and he he's like you know i would have been back earlier but the fog was really thick and you don't want to be out here when the fog is that thick because you can't see anything and um so he takes him back to krith and gifford he's there he's there for long enough he like bikes around so he's feeling he's feeling some he's feeling defiant i guess like he's gonna go back and he's gonna take care of this thing and it's silly to be scared of it and he's gonna be fine um and that's that's where we get into like the the part of this book that's gonna be like hard to talk about is the atmosphere and the ambiance okay she has written she's written it very specifically to like crescendo up to this like a penultimate sequence where like all this horrible stuff is happening and he is finally scared enough of his house that he just doesn't want to be there anymore. Okay. Um what he finds out while he's at the house going through the papers, and he does like have some success doing this for a little while, is that um Alice Drablo had an acquaintance that's later revealed to be her sister um Janet who was forced to give up her baby because it was born out of wedlock. And it's just not, it was not appropriate for a lady of her bearing to have a fatherless baby.
1: Sounds like a Victorian novel of some kind. Yes. Yeah.
0: Right. So it was adopted by um, Alice Drablow and her husband. And like she was, and she did not want to give this child up. She was like very attached to this kid. And, for a while she is just separated from the kid, but eventually she prevails upon Alice and her husband to like let her come and see the kid and the, that's not the, gonna
1: be a weird situation at all.
0: No, and and you know, that there have been some stipulations like, Oh, you're not allowed to be alone with it, you're not allowed to tell it that you're its mom. Cool. Um and she is she is like planning on eventually like absconding with this child.
1: How are, how do you know
0: that? You get some like, letters okay, like she's, for some of it, and then okay. he hears some more of it from local people. Okay. Um, but one day, as the child and, and Drablo's husband, whose name I don't remember, and I'm not going to look it up, it's not important, <laughs> they are driving back from town, and they get caught in a marsh. Oh! In their horse and buggy. I see. oh. And, and so it turns out that the ghostly sounds that our our boy Kipps has been hearing this whole time was the sound of this horse and buggy getting pulled under with this kid on it, and Jeanette was there watching in the window the
1: whole like watching time. Watching the oh god.
0: Yeah, like watching her son die. That's not cool. Yeah, not great. And then she gets Jeanette gets a wasting illness. And dies twelve years after that.
1: Okay. Not like instantly. And no, she doesn't not take her life. But yeah, okay. Yeah. But
0: ever since then there's been, you know, there have been hauntings. This this you know, the ghost of Jeanette has has been around and she's really she's really, really upset. She's upset at the circumstances that made her give the kid up in the first place. She's upset that the kid was taken from her. She's sort of upset at her family too. I think it's implied. Um,
1: well, cause they wouldn't let her just run away with this kid. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, as so she appears to different people over the years and every time she appears a child dies. Huh? And so all the sad kids at the funeral. Uh oh, there goes the dead kids. Whoops.
1: Okay. Huh. And she's is like, she shows up, and then, how many is there? Like a seven day window. It's not is it like just...
0: a ring situation. <laughs> okay, if if that's we're, what you're
1: asking. Hit that later this month, but and she's not like showing up and like spooking kids to death.
0: No, but, like, she'll she'll appear and then something that looks like an accident will happen or okay. a kid will get a very, very quick and sudden illness mm-hmm. that kills it. But, like, it's, it's happened so many times that, at least to the local people, it is not a coincidence. Okay. There's a clear, like, line of cause and effect.
1: Now, when you were reading the earlier Horse and Buggy section... Aside from the fact that, like, you're reading this book, you're expecting it to be spooky, like, what was your – where was your brain at when you were reading that section in terms of, like, you thought it was a ghost? You, How is it written? Are you supposed to know that it's supernatural when that happens?
0: As the reader, you're pretty sure, or at least if you've, like, ever read a ghost story before <laughs> ever, you're pretty sure that some spooky stuff – like, it says – like, if you look at the book cover on Wikipedia, it says a ghost story on it. So, like you've been primed to expect
1: that's fine. Ghosts well, I guess, <laughs> and well, I guess then... the
0: prologue does that too.
1: oh, true because you Cause know it's he's ghost like, story. here
0: is my horrible, true ghost story,
1: sure. So then it then the narratives doing this thing where it's like, keep turning the page. So you find out what that spooky buggy noise was all about.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first time you read it because you're, you know, cause you're in Arthur's head and, you know, getting the whole story from his perspective, you do, you do kind of wonder at first, like maybe this is the, the horse and buggy that came and dropped him off. But it's like, he is writing it with knowledge of what comes later and because That's of the a prologue point. you you can sort of infer what comes later as well
1: <laughs> and is it written in the first like is the internal story written in first person um, or is it written in that like close third because i know she's yeah, a it, lot it of yeah it is close third. it is third person it's okay. it's
0: epistolary in that way
1: all right um yeah cuz she was she was a big fan of the free indirect like hey i'm right on your shoulder my prose reflects how you think type yeah style all right yeah. So he so, learns all this information and things keep getting spookier?
0: Things keep getting spookier. Like he's borrowed a dog from someone in town, a dog named Spider, which is a great name. It's, it's a like great a little, dog it's a little black little black terrier named Spider. Okay. And he's like comforted by Spider hanging out and keeping him company. But then like the final spooky sequence is he's outside with Spider and something whistles for the dog Mm. and it goes like before he can get a hold of it it goes running off and gets stuck in the marsh Mm. and is like getting pulled under in the quicksand and so he runs out and he's like man i gotta save this dog because i've heard a kid and a dog and a horse and stuff all dying in the marsh and i just (laughs) i just can't with this and so he runs out and he like, he very nearly dies himself, but in, like, a very tense sequence. And this is where, like, her sense of uh, – where um, Hill's sense of, like, atmosphere and, and stuff. It's one of those sequences where you start turning the pages faster and reading faster because, like, that's how caught up in it you are. And that makes it feel more stressful and – Yeah. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah. And is she, like – intensely describing him getting almost pulled down like what is happening to him
0: yeah like he almost gets pulled down a couple times but he like he reaches out just barely and he grabs the dog and by summoning reserves of strength he didn't even know he had he (laughs) saves the dog and they get clear of the marsh like just barely and then he like passes out and comes to and one of the people he's been dealing with in town is like listen we're gonna leave I i wanted to come and check on you and I've seen you and we're going to go. Okay. And Arthur at this point has no problem with that. Oh, and also when he was in the marsh almost dying, he saw a woman in black watching him from the window. Oh no. Oh no. So that's basically the <laughs> that's the story.
1: Do we go back to the frame narrative at the end?
0: In no. any meaningful way? We do like so the last few pages are the book's most devastating I think so if you are really intent on avoiding spoilers and up till now like we have spoiled stuff but you're not reading the book to so much to learn that there is a ghost and like go through all the reasoning that leads him to believe that there's a ghost and go through the middle period where he doesn't believe in no ghosts (laughs) and he's not going to get scared about it like you read that, and you're reading it because of the way that Hill sets it up, and because of the style, and because of the sense of atmosphere that she builds. And this this whole book is like 180 something pages long. I think it's not it's not long. I read it in a couple hours. Sure. Um, Braggart. Thanks. Listen, I'm just so over the moon to read a book in a <laughs> couple hours instead of a couple months. <laughs>
1: You just hop, skipped, and jumped through this thing, didn't you?
0: Yeah, it was like doing a. I it was like falling off a log. Like it was pretty easy. <laughs> so the last few pages, we get um, Kipps, and this is the immediate, like the year or two after he has gone through this whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a he's got a fiance named Stella mm-hmm. back in London, and because because this. His experience has imparted to him a a sense of like mortality and like wanting to wanting to get stuff done quickly rather than just waiting around for it. He gets married to her, and they have a kid mm. um and so one day they're in a park and and at this point, I should note, and you probably know what's what's coming, but there was no kid that died when Kipps ran into the woman in black <sighs> and so he gets married to Stella and they are out at the park. The kid's like a little over a year old and they go to get on like this horse and buggy ride and there's only room for two of them. So Stella and the kid get on and they ride off into the woods.
1: Ladies first.
0: And then and then Kipps turns around and he sees the woman in black and she's staring at him and it's. She's staring at him, and you cannot mistake, like, the waves of malevolence that are radiating from her.
1: <laughs> just that kind of, like, and then force of evil came yeah, off of her. Right. You could smell it. Mm-hmm. It smelled like potatoes.
0: you just saying it smells like potatoes because you got tato soup right there.
1: Yeah, it's not evil soup at all.
0: Junior mm. mm. soup. Hmm. Silly soup boy. Hmm. Um. So she's like, she's standing there, the horse and buggy come out of the woods and then she runs in front of the horse Whoa! and spooks the horse and the horse goes a running and it runs headlong into a tree and Stella gets flung into the tree and her, like her neck and spine are God. broken Ugh. and the baby is thrown clear of of the wagon and hits another tree and it is dead. So there's your there's your dead kid.
1: There's your dead
0: kid. There's your dead kid, and then many months later, Stella dies of her injuries. Oh, she didn't die then. She didn't die immediately. It oh. got nice and stretched out, so you could really suffer through it together.
1: Oh man, Kips. Mm.
0: And oh. so, it, so at the beginning of the book, while you're in this prologue, like you get a little bit of him, like in late stage recovery from this whole thing. Like his wife had, he was a widower from several years before you find out he is like a little aged before his time for reasons that aren't laid out. Like as you, as you learn about it. Sure. But he, you know, he meets this woman, he finds this house in the countryside that he really likes. He, he finds some measure of happiness and contentment with her and his stepchildren and whatever, but whatever, and this and and this request f- for him to tell a ghost story has just brought all this stuff back to the surface
1: is this the first time they ever asked for a ghost
0: story maybe i don't know like i don't i don't sit around with my family and be like let's tell ghost stories to each other like i pretty much only tell ghost stories because we do a podcast where we do a whole month about halloween and how halloween is cool
1: that's yeah i don't know i didn't do like i was not a boy scout i was not like a campfire kid hanging out telling spooky tales Mm -hmm. growing up so Mm -hmm. yeah i guess but i just feel like if these kids were so hungry for ghost stories that this would have come up by now
0: i think i mean he wanted to bury it obviously because it was very traumatic and it took him a very long time to forget it and Mm -hmm. and even though he is he is happy it's not it's not as though he is unaffected by his his time like there's yeah, there sure. is literally a passage and let me Uh, indeed, even now in later life, though I have been as happy and at peace in my home at Monk's Peace and with my dear wife Esme as any man may hope to be, and even though I thank God every night that it is all over, all long past and will not, cannot come again, yet I do not believe I have ever slept ever again slept so well as I did that night in the inn at Crithin Gifford, for I see that then I was still all in a state of innocence, but that innocence once lost is lost forever." So the book is real big on it affecting him deeply and permanently, even though on the surface he has like a, a quote unquote normal happy life. Yeah,
1: so you know? it's not implying that he still sees her regularly or anything like that.
0: No, no, it's just that his the the course of his life has been permanently altered by this ghost that he saw. Sure, sure. Hmm. So that's the book pretty much. I mean, I know we're we have not been gone for that long, but
1: I mean, what is it? You talk a lot about the atmosphere. Did you bookmark any passages that might be useful to kind of illustrate that? I know sometimes that takes a couple pages to settle in. But I if there's did. anything that's really helpful there.
0: Oh, here here's something that's here's something that's interesting is that uh Kip's actually like he finds all the stuff out about Janet and her situation and he actually feels like bad for her. Oh, okay. Like, he really empathizes with her in a way that makes it seem particularly unfair that she decides to like target him and, yeah, so and that murder was, his family.
1: That's what I was thinking <laughs> Oh my god. That's what I was thinking about when you said that she comes back and like finds him two years later is like there is not an explicit connection made between him and her yeah
0: like he had nothing to do with any of the stuff that happened and the stuff that happened is something like 60 years in the past it's old and alice drablow was like the last living person who was caught up in it at all sure but it didn't like the fact that the townspeople weren't directly responsible for stuff did not keep her from haunting well, haunting no. the bejesus out of them you know
1: because <laughs> all, well all society was responsible for her not being able to keep her child so they all get to get haunted yeah if you're if you're Jeanette
0: so let me I mean I might just read like a real long hit me pass spook here. spook me I yeah, dare spook you, you. Uh, let's see here so he's this is him staying the night at the house and spider is there with him. Okay, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he hears like you know, hears the wind. He hears the the cry of this child out in the marsh, and he, like, he is he has worked out that this is a ghost. Like, this is a thing that is not. He can't run out and save this kid himself. He's worked that out at this point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. So he's going down to get a drink and stir up the fire. And I'm just, I'm going to read a bit. Great. As I went out onto the landing, spider, the dog following me at once, two things happened together. I had the impression of someone who had just that very second before gone past me on their way from the top of the stairs to one of the other rooms. And as a tremendous blast of wind hit the house so that it all but seemed to rock at the impact, the lights went out. I had not bothered to pick up my torch from the bedside table, and now I stood in the pitch blackness, unsure for a moment of my bearings. And the person who had gone by and who was now in the house with me, I had seen no one, felt nothing. There had been no movement, no brush of a sleeve against mine, no disturbance of the air. I had not even heard a footstep. I had simply the absolutely certain sense of someone just having passed close to me and gone away down the corridor." Down the short, narrow corridor that led to the nursery, whose door had been so firmly locked and then inexplicably opened. For a moment, I actually began to conjecture that there was indeed someone, another human being, living here in this house—a person who hid themselves away in that mysterious nursery and came out at night to fetch food and drink and to take the air. Perhaps it was the woman in black, and Mrs. drablo harbored some reclusive old sister or retainer. Had she left behind her a mad fiend that no one had known about? My brain span all manner of wild, incoherent fantasies as I tried desperately to provide a rational explanation for the presence I had been so aware of. But then they ceased. There was no living occupant of Eel Marsh House other than myself and Samuel Daly's dog. Whatever was about, whoever I had seen and heard rocking and who had passed me by just now, whoever had opened the locked door was not real. No. But what was real? At that moment, I began to doubt my own reality. The first thing I must have was a light, and I groped my way back across to my bed, reached over it, and got my hand to the torch at last, took a step back, stumbled over the dog who was at my heels, and dropped the torch. It went spinning away across the floor and fell somewhere by the window with a crash and the faint sound of breaking glass. I cursed but managed by crawling about on my hands and knees to find it again and to press the switch. No light came on. The torch had broken. For a moment I was as near to weeping tears of despair and fear, frustration, and tension as I had ever been since my childhood. But instead of crying, I drummed my fist upon the floorboards in a burst of violent rage until they throbbed. It was Spider who brought me to my senses by scratching a little at my arm and then by licking the hand I stretched out to her. We sat on the floor together, and I hugged her warm body to me, glad of her, thoroughly ashamed of myself, calmer and relieved, while the wind boomed and roared without, and again and again I heard that child's terrible cry borne on the gusts toward me. I would not sleep again, of that I was sure, but nor, I, nor did I dare to go down the stairs in that other darkness— Surrounded by the noise of the storm, unnerved by the awareness I had had of the presence of that other one. My torch was broken. I must have a candle, some light, however faint and frail, to keep me company. There was a candle near at hand I had seen earlier on the table beside the small bed in the nursery. And, like, it goes on for a bit like this. And, like, so nothing is happening that you and I can talk about (laughs) on a podcast. Like, I can't be like, a guy dropped his flashlight and then had to get a candle. Well yeah, it's like that's what is happening in this
1: scene. In real time, dude takes a step. He thought a thing was there. Guess I'm not getting water. Oops, my thing's on the floor. (laughs) Oop, I'm hugging a dog. This is nice, but I'm real upset.
0: Yes, exactly. That's the cliff's notes of this of this passage. (laughs) But and, and and if you've been reading the whole book, like so you've got a few things already that that this is building on is like the the cry of the child. Mm-hmm. There's been this mysterious rocking in a room as of a child's cradle mm-hmm. in this in this room that was locked and he couldn't even bust the door down, but suddenly he goes up and it's it's unlocked and hanging open. He can go in and it feels like a room that like the whole rest of the house feels abandoned. Yeah. And like unlived in, but this room does not.
1: Yeah. That's a common trope. That's cool.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. I, and so I, one, like one last, Yeah, hit me. like to, to, so that, that goes on for a bit. I have said that there were no other strange and dreadful happenings that night. Nothing else to make me afraid except the sound of the wind and the completeness of the dark. And in a sense that is true for the nursery was quite empty and the rocking chair still and silent. All so far as I could tell was as it had been before. I did not know then to what I could possibly attribute the feelings that swept over me from the moment I entered the room. I felt not fear, not horror, but an overwhelming grief and sadness, a sense of loss and bereavement, a distress mingled with other despair. My parents were both alive. I had one brother, a good many friends, and my fiance Stella. I was still a young man. Apart from the inevitable loss of elderly aunts and uncles and grandparents, I had never experienced the death of anyone close to me, never truly mourned and suffered the extremes of grief. Never yet, but the feelings that must accompany the death of someone as close to my heart and bound up with my own being as it was possible to be, I knew then in the nursery of Eelmarsh House. Mm. They all but broke me, yet I was confused and puzzled, not knowing any reason at all why I should be in the grip of such desperate anguish and misery. It was as though I had, for the time I was in the room, become another person, or at least experienced the emotions that belong to another.
1: Yo, that's pretty cool. Let me, hey, Hey. that. so that's. (laughs) That's on the thing – that's on a level that I like about – qualms about the person aside uh, H.P. Lovecraft's fiction as well, which is the, like, the – especially in written form, I think you get it better in novels than you do in film, this, like, the haunting as a psychic or emotional experience, not as a, like, a thing jumped out of a closet and spooked you.
0: Right, not the the – doom three style <laughs>
1: <laughs> not monster closets
0: no not, not monster closets but like what if your family was dead
1: yeah like what if <laughs> like your that perfectly healthy of, family was just dead
0: yeah that like existential horror that really makes you feel alone and miserable in the universe you know
1: oh, i like that she takes the pains to be like i've never experienced sadness before and now I've experienced all of it in this room as if it were real to me. Yeah, like, like that's I scary.
0: Yeah, d- man. Like so. So that's that's why you read this book. You don't read sure. it necessarily for what happens, though. It is, you know, a very sad story. It is a little, and and it is, I think, consciously a little stock,
1: like yeah, it's just arch. on the page, yeah. just
0: like the the order of events. Like, oh, this woman got separated from her child and died, and now she kills kids because she's mad that her kid died. <laughs> like it's. It's tropey. Don't don't belittle this ghost,
1: Andrew. She's going to come for you.
0: I've never seen her. I don't believe in no ghosts. Only bumpkins believe don't, in ghosts. You don't believe
1: in no ghosts, do you? I don't. You're not a ghost guy.
0: No, I'm not a ghost guy. Okay. Maybe we can explore that a little bit further on another Spooktober episode, because I don't remember okay. if we have before.
1: I don't know if we have.
0: All right. Um, It feels like something we would have talked about.
1: Though. I'll go back into the archives. It's
0: fine. Um, but yeah, like you, you read it for the the atmosphere that she creates, the like her ability to put you in this character's head, like that 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 description of you know being young enough in life to never have experienced the loss of somebody close, like I, and I think you too mostly, like I think a lot like a lot of people our age are in that bucket. Yeah, my, or at the, least a lot of the lucky people.
1: Yeah, outage. we might have talked about this on previous shows. Like the closest loss that I've had is probably my grandmother, but I was like in eighth grade. So I wasn't, it was impa- it was very impactful in my life, but I it was not me as an adult losing a person that is part of my adult life.
0: Well, yeah, the and, then, and then mine was uh, my youngish aunt and uncle both dying within a couple of years of each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like that. I would I'm more affected I guess by the way my family is affected I'm not 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 to say that it wasn't very sad and that I don't think about it with some regularity but like day to day like my life is just not altered that much by it I guess yeah at the risk of sounding a little callous I guess
1: well no but I think some of that comes from like how often was that person in your day to day in a yeah, like yeah. tangible way, yeah, right, you know,
0: and not- so i so I feel that more through people who did have more day to day contact with them mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like I haven't had a close friend die, like none of my siblings and neither of my parents, like everybody's still good,
1: well, you've read the woman in black, so.
0: I'm I'm more worried about the ring, honestly, and I think oh, you're God. reading that one. So,
1: oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really thought about the fact that I'm going to be reading that book, and then you're going to have already heard about it. So I can't give it to you,
0: <gasps> but we'll be talking
1: about it on the podcast. Does that count?
0: We'll find. I think everybody, everybody who listens to the yeah. podcast
1: that'll count. will die. Uh, before we go, Andrew, I do just kind of want to mention the play because the play, The Woman in Black, which was created only a few years after the book was published. It's written by Stephen Malatrat, I think.
0: I don't know who that is. Should yeah, I know I who don't, that
1: is? No, it's just the guy who wrote The Woman in Black. I okay. Think. Um, it Fair. is the longest-running play in London behind The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie.
0: Oh, the uh, one that the board game was based on?
1: Definitely, definitely. Reaction, um, spoilers for board games.
0: Fun um, is catching Mousetrap. <laughs>
1: What I've seen that play, it's very effective. There's one, like, there is a frame narrative, but it's not the same one. It does have this, like, if I tell this story, it will, I can, like, exercise it a bit. Yeah,
0: like, I will take some, I will remove some of its power over me.
1: Yeah, and there's, by like, getting this, it out of my head. What I do like, and I guess spoilers for this play that you should maybe go see, but um, what I like about it is they make whether or not the woman exists, like... They purposefully try to obfuscate it. Like, it takes place in a theater. Uh, Kipps has hired a younger man to, like, act out the play of his, like, scary life. <laughs> and the play is this guy, like, doing it. And as the play goes on, it gets more and more real. And then when they're done after he's seen this woman on stage a bunch of times he like asks Kipps. he's like hey who was that who did you get to play the woman like that was kind of creepy and he's like who what are you talking about <laughs> that's pretty cool uh and when i've seen it they they don't credit her in the program so like if oh, you're man, really? if you don't know about it like all of a sudden there's just a lady on stage
0: so it's a role that cool. you take for the love of the game and not because yes. it'll help your brand because you yes. don't even get to be in the in the advertising.
1: <laughs> no, it's true. I did then after that production, like I was in I was on that theater's mailing list and they like to do like actors will like personalize an email asking for money and it was totally from the woman who played the woman in black, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Give
0: us money or I will kill your Give
1: children. <laughs> it's
0: pretty good. You guys the woman in black like to work the phone lines? Yeah. For the presidential campaign or something Ooh. like that would be pretty spooky.
1: That would be pretty spooky. Vote for this candidate or I will haunt your kids. Mm-hmm. That's not terrifying. <laughs> that's, that's basically every election anyway, though, right? Vote for this candidate or the other candidate will haunt your kids. will haunt
0: your kids forever and ever, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Your kids and your kids' kids and... The rest okay. of the world. Uh, let's not talk about it anymore. Let's
1: not talk about that, Andrew. I'm glad that you got spooked. Did you get spooked? You got just got enjoyed. Little, the book. I got a
0: little pooked. I like the book a lot.
1: <laughs> why do you say it like that?
0: I think it's a. It's one of the many Macaroyisms that has
1: like woven into our show. Yeah. Yeah. We owe it's, them. It's, all, we owe it's, them a great debt. A it's great all like, homage. Like,
0: like it's a, you're not ripping them off if you mention them all the
1: time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how it works. Uh, so next week. I'm reading Haunting of Hill House, um, which maybe that will also be spooky. I hear it is.
0: I mean, it is the haunting of a house, so hopefully. Hopefully it's not Unless just like a party. Unless it's like a fun haunting, like a, <laughs> like a Beeljuice-style, like puckish sort of haunting. <laughs>
1: If you've ever had a fun haunting party, if
0: you've ever met a Beetlejuice, <laughs>
1: yeah, you should write in, tell us about it at overdupod at gmail.com. We've got a good backlog of emails that we should be uh, both answering and then combing for like a future episode. So if we haven't like gotten back to you, uh, know that we've read them and we will get back to you in time mm-hmm. um, if a ghost allows us to live. I also want to thank everyone who's been reaching out to us on social media lately on facebook.com slash overdue pod and twitter.com slash overdue pod. That includes a very spooky list of Grace, Wilson, Sarah, Maddie, Katie, Rachel, Brendan, Lucas, Kendra, Tessa, Josh, Sophie, Usanim, Bovin, Rebecca, Sean, Margaret, Aid Wells, Melissa, Mary Kate, KW, Erica. And then on Facebook, I want to sh- give a shout out to Adam, who made a LinkedIn joke on our Facebook page that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> uh, Robin, Dion, Michael, Christine, uh, Ferris, Emma, the Not Born Podcast, and Amy. Thank you guys all. Uh, Andrew, if people want to know more about the show, where should they go?
0: They should go to overduepodcast.com, which is where we have all of our back episodes. And links to iTunes, RSS, Google Play, Stitcher, all the ways you can subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they go up. Um, we've got links to Spreaker, our podcast host, HeadGum, our podcast network. We have links to our Patreon project, which we've gotten a few new people um, helping pay for the show through that. Like, we use that money to buy new equipment and to buy books and to and to work on other projects that we make very slow, painstaking progress on. <laughs> um. What else? We have Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read. We also have the full list of books for Spooktober up there. Uh-huh. Normally we just have books for like a week or two out. But if you are interested in reading along, like most of the books we've chosen are relatively short, so go up there and and pick the ones that you like and read them if you want. Craig, what are you doing next week?
1: I said before, haunting oh, a yeah. hill house. I, I did it out of order. I I taunted you up there.
0: Yeah. No. I just have I have like muscle memory where like okay, oof, I said the thing I got to say now. Bounce <laughs> it, it to the next thing, uh, and then we're going to be recording in pretty short order. I think since we've we're really late on September's bonus episode at this point, so I think we're just gonna. I imagine we haven't talked about it, but I imagine we'll just record September's and October's in pretty short order and release them yeah. like a couple weeks apart. Yeah. I think um, so. for this next one which i think we're going to be recording tomorrow we're going to be talking about the movie hook which we watched recently yeah as a follow-up to our peter pan episode and then of course we're going to be going back to the choose your own adventure well kind of with a give yourself goosebumps book for the october bonus show uh-huh so get ready for that it's going to be pretty scary or silly or silly or both thanks for or listening both. everybody uh we'll be back next monday until then try to be happy